Welcome to Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am so thrilled to welcome Sharon Connolly back as a guest. Welcome, Sharon. I'm so pleased to be here again. How are you going? How's your week been? Uh, well, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we are both in lockdown. So we are prisoners of home office, but I'm surviving and I have my gin now. So I'm good. Yeah. So you've got a G&T. What kind I of do. gin have you used for your G&T? Actually, I have got, it's really nice. I can't remember the brand, but it's a rhubarb gin and it's really, really interesting. So I've got a rhubarb gin with um, a squish of lime and some fever tree tonic. Very nice. Wonderful. Cheers. Cheers to you. I have a glass of lovely red wine. So yes, um, as you, as Sharon quite rightly pointed out, we're both in lockdown and in Melbourne today, um, our premier announced we will be in at least another week of lockdown. So I've actually gone to the bottom of my wine <laughs> rack and I've opened quite a nice bottle of 2008 uh, Tim Adams Cabernet Malbec, which is going down quite nicely. What, what is good to think about is that somebody who's listening to this in the future will think lockdown is all finished. What even was that lockdown thing? That was weird. Everyone was drinking all yeah. the time. <laughs> I know. Um, and so today we're going to talk about, because last time you came on, we talked about Microsoft stuff. Today we're actually talking about change management um, and we're going to talk about what makes a good change manager. But before we get into that, I want to ask, what are you currently watching, reading or listening to? Uh, well, I can tell you all of those. So watching, I obviously from the UK, I love a good British crime, uh, crime drama. Yes. Just finished watching Unforgotten series four, which okay. is really, really good. Um, reading, I'm reading a book about membership sites. So it's called The Forever Transaction. And it's about Netflix and this type of thing and and there's some really interesting change management insights in it and I'm just listening to to Spotify you know love to go onto Spotify with one of my favorite tracks and then see what comes up next amazing amazing and I know last time you came on the podcast your career advice was all about the career advice you didn't get but is there any career advice you'd like to share with the listeners today well, it's interesting because I'm glad that you went and looked it up. I might say something completely different than I said last time. But my career advice is um, whatever you do, seek out people that don't just tell you, yes, you can do it, mm. uh, but also support and challenge you to get there. And um, for example, you see, if I'd said to my mum, I want to be an astronaut, she would have said to me, you go, girl, you be an astronaut. Whereas what she really needed to say was, well, let's get a book about what that would involve. Do you know you might need to get better grades at physics if you want to be an astronaut? So you need mm. somebody to challenge you and help you to go on your on your journey. Um, but I also would challenge people to plant their own flag. So just because somebody says, <clears throat> hey, you, you, you know, you can't make a living out of fishing. There's a way. There is a way to make, you know, these days as well, where whatever you decide to do, your audience is global. You can sell podcasts on fishing. You can, you know, whatever it is you want to do, there is a way to monetize it if you have got a business brain. And that's the last thing about uh, the career advice before we move on as well, is that if you do want to do something like um, I used to have a job as an image consultant. I used to love being an image consultant. You have got to have a business brain because no matter how great your idea is, no, if nobody's buying it and nobody knows about it, 
then you're not going to make any money out of it. So a lot of these things like coaches and consultants, you go into it because you want to help people, but you need to realize that you're going to spend so much of your time marketing and advertising and networking and, and, and all of that. So that would be my career advice as well. If you want to do something where you've got to have your own business, you need to actually have a business brain. Yeah, that's awesome. That uh, I was actually having a conversation with a good friend of mine last night and it was it this person is a very highly respected consultant who we were talking about um them building their brand and needing to hustle a bit because it's like, well, if you pull off this piece of work you're doing and it's the best thing ever and no one knows about it, did it happen? Did it happen? No. So that's awesome advice. Thank you. Um so today we're going to talk about what makes a great change manager? So the first question I wanted to ask you, in your mind, what do you think are the natural instincts and talents of a great change manager? Actually, before we get into it, I should also say to the listeners, I put a call out on LinkedIn maybe a week ago saying, what do you guys want to know? And I got some amazing responses. And this one was a question that was submitted by Helen Palmer. So hi, mm. Helen. So you ask. And then Sharon, you very kindly offered to discuss it on the podcast. So here yeah. we are. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a great topic. Um, so what are the natural in instincts and challenges of a change manager? Um, I think we, and the reason that I wanted to, uh, the reason that I reached out to come and talk to you about this again is because it really made me think, are we born or are, do, do we learn it? And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But what are the natural instincts of a great change manager? I think there has to be a desire to help. There has to be a desire to fix and a desire to get involved. I mean, I think that change isn't a, a spectator sport. A really good change manager, or perhaps this is just me, I cannot scroll past a social media where some a social media post when somebody's asking for help. You know, when somebody mm. says, hey, where can I get pet food delivered? I have to answer and say, oh, mm. Pet Circle has a good discount, or I have to, I have to contribute. And I know that there are so many people that read even LinkedIn posts and they, they might think that's interesting, but they don't so much as hit the like button. Oh, yeah. Heaven forbid that they make a comment. Change managers cannot resist helping where they can add value or supporting. And I think that's something that's instinctive for change managers. We have to be very much a roll up your sleeves and dig in type of person, a team player, and also a bit of a matriarch so that even if it's not our job to do so, because we're the change manager, I think that change managers quite often take on the role of corralling and supporting the whole of their team. I mean, if you've got a really great team assistant or an admin assistant working mm. with you, then maybe they will do that. But I've always felt that I'm the one that keeps everybody communicating. I'm the one that says, hey, let's go and have a coffee or a muffin or whatever. You know, I think that that's something is a, is a little bit of a mothering thing as well. Um, so I think that it is that genuine desire to help people because we're quite empathetic. We've got that yeah. emotional connection with people. Yeah. Well, on empathy, um, I think empathy is a huge part of it. Like if you can't see something from another person's point of view um, or if you have a very low EQ, then I don't think you're naturally cut out to be a change manager. It's, it can be learnt, 
Um, it's very, it is difficult to learn empathy as you know, there's, a, I think the words empathy training are getting bandied about in the Australian political scape, which I find quite amusing, but yeah, I think, you know, you've got to have that sitting down and have that view. And also for this podcast, I reached out to a number of friends of mine who are not change managers, but they are, uh, agileists program managers, change sponsors and executives and people, all people who have hired and worked with and managed many, many change managers as well. So because I, I recognize that you're a change manager, I'm a change manager. So we probably have a little bit of bias and maybe some subjectivity in our thinking. So I wanted to see what do the people who hire us and fund us and manage us think. And empathy and EQ did come up a little bit, but what it really was, was being a people person and being able to chat to people and find out what's going on, um, to read between the lines and understand the nuances of a conversation. Um, and also just on that point, like someone, and this was one of mine, cause I was talking to my agile friend, uh, somebody who has a really thick skin and isn't afraid to rattle some cages isn't afraid to speak up, isn't afraid to critique and troubleshoot um, because as the change manager, like you need to be, you know, putting yourself out there and sticking your neck out to get things done well and be really passionate. Yeah, but I think that we do that in, a, in an empathetic way. So mm. you know, obviously with what I do in terms of um, making over PowerPoints and quick reference guides, and I do a lot of zhuzhing of packs, there's a way to do it. And it's really important. And this is the change management part as well, which is to let people know that what they did previously wasn't shit. Um, what you've done is that you started with a great foundation and then you have made it better. And as a change manager and I come from a learning background. What I want to do is that I don't want to just do it for them. I also want to enable them to do it themselves in the future. So if I help somebody with a pack or if I help somebody with comms, I don't want to just do it and give it back to them. I want to say, I did this just so you know, I used this tool or this is my thinking behind this so that they can grow themselves. And I think that's part of change management as well, is really wanting people to go on a journey. If, even if it's not the journey that you've been hired to take people on as a change manager, it's about enabling people with creativity or EQ or technical skills or, you know, how many change managers have run a small workshop for their sponsors to explain to them what ADCAR is? so that they can then apply that to anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was another one that came up is it's probably more the, I don't think it, you're naturally going to know this, but a solid change manager, they said they will have a sound knowledge of change management, how it works and the tools and tricks. But the flip side of that was I got very consistent feedback that they didn't want people to be too wrapped up or um, aligned to one particular methodology and that bad change managers can have a tendency to hide behind their templates and be too theoretical because, yeah, you were going to say something. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, good. I'm just a massively agreeing because what I've got written down here as well is that you really need to roll up, be a roll up your sleeves and dig in yes. type of person, 
no matter what the role or how senior I'm paid to be or perceived to be, I have no problem doing the photocopying, making the coffee, you know, just really getting in with the team, going out there, networking, talking to people um, and being so much a roll up your sleeves and, and get on with it type of person. And I have worked with change managers who, and something that I wrote down here as well, a natural instinct and a talent when somebody is following their natural instincts and they're following their talent, I think the thing is, is that they're a happy change manager. I think the change managers who are not naturally empathetic, who are not naturally creative, who don't have this desire to help, maybe doing the job entirely adequately, mm. but I don't think that they're happy doing it. Whereas mm. change managers who are, you know, who are born to do this, we're really happy. We're really, yeah. really happy. Yeah. And, and when we talk about change, our face lights up and we get really excited. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we're not doing a job, you know, we're, of course, nobody wants to work till midnight every night, but when we're doing it because we know that it's going to make a difference, it's not like a job. It's like our vocation because we're not thinking about the PowerPoint. We're thinking about the people who are, going through the change that we've made it easier for them. We're thinking about the leaders who are delivering this information more easily because we've given them a great leader pack. So we're actually not thinking about the work. We're thinking about the outcome. And we're thinking about the outcome in terms of people and how what we have done has impacted them and made it easier for them. And, and, and I think that the, those of us who feel like that are happy in our jobs you can learn these things look we can teach somebody to be more empathetic we can teach somebody to be more creative but if it doesn't come from the heart this person will be doing it because they've got a checklist that says I've been told I need to be more empathetic what the hell does that mean okay I need to let a person talk I need to listen to their feelings you I know where is them how, what they think about this change and how will it impact them yeah we don't have to think about that we just we we just go get a coffee let's have a chat you know <laughs> and and we've got we've got ears like great big rabbits that um are flapping around that this is what the person is telling me this is what they're telling me but that's not what they're actually saying. Yeah. Okay. And that's yeah. the skill that that's, that's a skill that when I've been interviewed before, they say, what are one of the things that you do? And I say, I have the ability to hear what they're really saying, not the words they've said. What are mm. they really saying? Yeah. 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 What's not being said. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. That's a good one. Um, a couple more I had was being really proactive and highly organized because mm. I'm not highly mm. organized at all. Really? No. No. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. No. Why do you make that self-assessment? The woman who puts out multiple newsletters a week, videos, um, courses, and also works full-time. Yeah, I'm highly industrious. Um, I get a lot done, but if you open any of my cupboards, there's stuff everywhere I never know where my keys are my desktop is full of files I don't know where anything is um I'm not at all organized at all I'm as I say I'm very very productive and industrious organized 
No. <laughs> when it comes to you rolling out a change, yeah. do you get the things done that you say you're going to get done and are Absolutely. you able to show people a plan? See, that's organised at work. Absolutely. Like it doesn't matter. You could have te- you could have body dead bodies all through your cupboards. But <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think like that if you have um about a, about six weeks ago I did have a dead mouse in my cupboard um so I have two cats mm. and um I was oh, <laughs> they were running around at night what the hell are they doing what are they doing there's a lot of activity there and um there was a dead mouse in my cupboard <laughs> oh my so there could be dead bodies as well who knows who knows <laughs> but I think like I would find it very hard to believe that you aren't a reliable person who get does their work and does completes oh, the work when they say they're going to complete massively, it. Massively, massively, I will do that, but I'm not naturally organised. My husband says to me that I'm a lever, not a putter. So okay. he will put things somewhere and I will leave them and try to remember where I left them. So I'm not naturally organized, but in your work, you have to be. That's, I think sometimes what you do, and this is interesting because we're talking about whether change managers are born or created. So I think that they are born, but organization is not one of my strengths. I have to discipline myself to do that. And it, there, there will be things that all of us need to do to discipline ourselves to do, you know. Yeah. Are you a born exerciser? Mm, yeah maybe I don't know (laughs) but I you're right I did there's quite a lot of discipline that led to now being an early morning exercise person um (laughs) but yeah I think I've never had a problem exercising um or yeah and I don't know whether we discussed it last time on my journey to being a change manager. I spent um, about 12 years being an image consultant. So a stylist Mm. and image consultant. Mm. And one of the things that is quite important, you know, we talk about personal, personal brands is because I would always turn up looking very polished and together. People assume that you have got your life under control. However, my kids were at school and I had had to go to the petrol station and buy their lunch and one of them didn't have their PE kit and, you know, all of this juggling, all of these things. But people would assume because you look together that mm. your life is together. And maybe that's what happens. They assume because my PowerPoint packs have got all of the dots, all of the eyes <laughs> crossed and all of the eyes dotted and the T's crossed. They'll think, well, she must know what she's doing. Underneath, <laughs> underneath, I've got many mismatched socks. Yeah, but I mean, everybody's like that at work, you know, like I even rearranged, like you can see behind you, there's like a wall and it's got a part of a Kanban and some sticky notes. Yeah, I actually rearranged my desk because when I first set it up, it was facing that wall. And then I realized this is my spare room, all the like crap, because this is the room I closed the door on would be in the background and I'm like well I can't have people seeing that like they need to just see this so over there there's like junk boxes <laughs> but what you're seeing is oh she's got a canvas she's a go-getter yeah. well I didn't have it before can you see can you see I've got a superhero can what is the superhero is it the picture that's a picture oh, of a superhero yeah ama- oh yes it is amazing unreal yeah, yeah. awesome um, okay. So 
I guess what we're saying is there are some inherent skills that you need. Like anything, I do believe that anything can be learned because you're right. Like I, there's a, some aspects of change that I don't enjoy doing. Like I'm not that into doing comms, to be honest. And anytime I get a call about a, a role that's mostly comms, I'm like, nah, because I'm happy to do it when it's part of the role, but I couldn't do it like as the whole role. And I have to force myself, going, yeah, come on, write this comms, let's get it done. Like, <laughs> That, Natasha, that's so interesting because one of the things that I um, teach at the beginning of my Change Toolkit course is to set yourself up for success. So we start off by talking about all of the different things that are part of the change manager's job. So we have got stakeholder engagement, we've got communication, we've got training, we perhaps are going to create some videos, we might create some e-learning, we might deliver some webinars, we might map out the as-is to be, um, so, you know, we might do some leadership coaching. So we talk about all of the different things that are part of a change manager's job. And then I say to people, you don't always have the luxury of this, but quite often as the change lead or an influential change manager, you design the change. So if you're designing the change and you don't like doing comms or you don't like updating SOP, why did you just put yourself as the person that does that in the change plan? So I think that one of the things that we can do to make ourselves really happy in our jobs is to design a change to our strengths or the things that we want to, de to deliver. So what you can do if you decide, well, I don't really like the comms. Well, what you can do is that you can make sure that you've got some change champions that will deliver the comms for you. If you don't well, like we do some stops, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't like writing SOPs, then in the change plan, you outsource the SOPs to the SME. Mm. So, but if you have never created videos and you want to create videos, then you assign that to yourself and then you have a developmental opportunity yeah. to learn that. And there are so many different parts to change managers. Um, you know, some that are creative, some that are process driven, some that come from project management, that come from training, that come from all the different places. And I think that we need to be really true to ourselves about what do we love to do and can we fill our days with loving what we need to do, outsource what we don't like to do, but always be open to learn new things, for example, new technology or new methodologies such as lean or human-centered design so that we can continue to grow because that might be the thing that we like to do next time you know but yeah. if you hate delivering webinars why would you write a program where you have to deliver 50 webinars yeah you know? and I, I think that's very valid but I also think you probably should do that after you've you know done the work and gone okay I like this I don't like that because oh, you know definitely. how when you go to the gym you and you if you have a personal trainer they make you do the exercise you hate the most and you're really bad at because <laughs> No, you've got to actually like that's how you build strength if you do the ones that are easy so I feel like there's a little bit of that at work like maybe when you're a bit more senior you can do that but you don't want to fall into the trap of being one of those change managers who can't do an impact assessment because they always got someone else to do it for them yeah. um went a little bit off topic but that was a really good chat um the other question I wanted to ask I think we've talked quite um broadly about what are the natural instincts and talents of a good change manager but what distinguishes an amazing change management professional from one who is adequate or has the title i think it's them finding their happy place being in the right organization 
you know, so it's about um, it's it's about being the right change manager in the right organization at the right time as well. So um, I don't think I was a great fit at CBA or in the area that I was in in, in CBA mm-hmm. um, because they needed somebody who was more who wanted to swim in the la- in the lane. And yeah. I'm much more of a creative person. That's not saying that there wouldn't be other places in CBA or another role within CBA yeah. that would be good for me, but I wasn't happy there. And, um, and, and in the project that I was in, I didn't fit very well within those constraints. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not a great change manager. I just wasn't in the right environment for my unique skills to shine. Yeah. So I think it's about, And and it's very interesting because prior to working there, I would have said, I'm just a really happy worker. I'm happy to work Mm. anywhere. And maybe for the previous 25 years, I'd found places that I was just happy to roll up my sleeves and get on with it. Maybe it comes with seniority as well. Um, Maybe it comes with being more, you know, having um, the ability to try to push your own ideas or have your own agenda or mold things differently. But I just think that wasn't great for me. And I wasn't a great change manager there. Mm. Came to AMP and, you know, other places that I'd worked. The place that I worked before that was MLC. The place that I've been after that is AMP. So happy, such a lovely environment. And I'm able to do great stuff there. So I think it is a lot about finding the place that you can be great when you find the place where you fit. And no matter how great you are, if you don't match what's expected of you or you don't match the culture it's not going to work well for anybody yeah you're not going to perform exceptionally you might just be adequate I think yeah that's a great call out um it's taking me back down memory lane making me think about a few places like oh that was not good and I I want to point out that that's not not having a role that's challenging you know, because a challenging role will make you grow. That's not saying that you want to go somewhere where it's easy because it's okay to be challenged and to grow and to have difficult situations. You know, when I, when I went to work on a project at TAL, I was the fourth change manager in a year and Mm. I went in there knowing that it was going to be difficult. And I think I stayed nearly a year and it was really difficult, but I learned, I uh, made a, a big contribution. We pushed the needle on a number of things and it wasn't an easy job, but I felt like I was a good change manager there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a bit like Marie Kondo, uh, you know, the meme where she's like, I love mess. Like when I see something real messy, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be hard, but I yeah. reckon I can do it. <laughs> but yeah, I... Yeah, there's certain environments I don't know if I could go into. Like, I don't think I could go back into an environment where there's a very pres- prescriptive change management methodology and it's like you have to do this deliverable and you have to use this exact template and you have to fill it out in the way that we tell you. Because mm-hmm. I like going, oh, I think I'll make a new canvas for this. Or like I like being creative yeah. with my tools and templates and also doing the right thing that's going to fit, you know, what my stakeholders want and what the company wants. So I now know, like, I, you know, don't really, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, I don't want to work there. Um, I did have a couple of, you know, what makes an amazing change professional. And I think you touched on it earlier. It's like someone who is willing to roll their sleeves up and actually own the change rather than, you know, 
farm it out to everybody else um, and somebody who actually will like get on, you know, go to the front line or the employees and support people, provide that, you know, or it, it could even be executives, provide that support to people because I think, and it probably comes back because it was the same person who said that, who said hiding behind the templates, you know, you've got to be willing to get down in the market, have conversations with people, particularly when things are going badly. Um, and, yeah, to, and I think that's what really makes. Yeah, and what I want to point out about the templates and the methodology, whether it is ProSci or whether it's ACMP or whoever it is, somebody made it up. You know, somebody sat around a table, somebody probably sat around their kitchen table and they created something and they went, I've got something here. I think I'm going to try and market this. I think that I'm going to give this knowledge to the world. That's, you know, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of processes and packs and things somebody made it up it's okay for you to make something up and to say this is the way that it is going forward the people who are really successful just were really great at selling their idea and monetizing it I mean that but when we talk about um change methodologies when we talk even about coaching methodologies when we talk about anything that is taking people on a journey or anything that is working with people's minds we have to realize that it's just, it's what people think. It's their opinion. Mm. It's what they think is a good way of doing it. And maybe they've got a consensus. A lot of, lot of people saying, yeah, actually, that's a really good way of doing it. But it's not medicine. It's not science. It's an opinion. Mm. So it's okay for you to have a different one and to say, I want to do this a little bit differently. Yeah. Yours yeah. Could be the next. Yours could be the next. You could be the next pro site. <laughs> you could be you could Next be John Cotter <laughs> agile somebody made it up you know I think I don't know whether mm. it was Spotify or wherever it came from but somebody said look let's do it differently yeah. and then it caught on but it is somebody saying I don't want to do it like that I want to do it I want, oh, oh. so yeah. anybody could do that and they write a book and that makes it official and yeah. you know and then by having that methodology it's saleable because we go, yeah. oh, it's repeatable. And, you know. Then we get back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, which is you then have to have the business methodology to go, I've written this book and I want to get it out there and I want to sign people up to a course and I want to, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got something that's on fire and that everybody's buying into. Um, is it right for them? Have they got an equally good idea? Maybe they just haven't turned it into a book and a course. Mm. I mean, it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, any other points on what makes a change professional amazing? So I, I just go back to, I've got my last little bullet point that talks about when we do what we love, um, we just shine at doing what we love or mm. we, or we try to, I don't know. I'm, I was just thinking about myself cooking at the weekend thinking, yeah, I love that. I don't necessarily shine at it, but, mm. um, um, yeah, it, it is about enjoying, enjoying what you do. One of the things that I think is so interesting about change managers is the different places that we come from. So we come from training, we come from HR, we might come from projects, we could have been an EA, we could have been a BA. A, a business SME who got pulled into a project and yeah. yeah. Um, 
and why people decide to do it. And I think that sometimes people decide to do it because they can go on to seek and they can see, well, these guys earn quite a lot of money. I'm going to be one of those. Um, <laughs> hey, that's how I started contracting. <laughs> exactly. We, we stay in it because we love it. And yeah. also the other thing that I think about change, which is pretty unique to change, is our community as well. Our community of uplifting each other, of promoting each other, of supporting each other. And when you get to our level in change, you can't go into a role where somebody does not know you or previously worked with you. So there's nothing to hide behind. Mm. So if you're really shit at your job and you're not a great change manager, when you go in and you're sat at your interview, you know that they're going to look in your LinkedIn profile and they're going to see who you know. Oh, the mutuals, yeah. yeah. And they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to go, so we just had Natasha in here. She did a really good interview. What did you work with her? Yeah. Yeah, did you work with her? You know, And you need somebody to say, yes, they were great. I highly recommend them. Or I don't think they're going to be a great fit for your organisation. She's great, but might yeah. not be the right thing for it's this actually, industry. Yeah, you actually want that because you want mm. to be really happy. That actually happened to me yesterday. Um, a really old friend of mine said, oh, I've just chatted with this person. Um, and I said, oh, yes, I, I know her. Uh, she used to be in my team. I was like, she's great. She's this, happy to chat, da, da, da. But it, it does happen. And, you know, another thing for me is if there's someone who's looking for a change role or even someone who, if I'm going to an interview, they're going to be interviewing me, I look them up on LinkedIn. And to me, it's a red flag if we don't have like minimum 50 mutual connections. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, oh, we've got three mutuals and they're kind of randoms. They're not actual, they might be recruiters or something. So they're not changing. And I'm like, this person, are they changed? Like, cause if they were, they would know if they, they would know a lot of people because Melbourne change management community is, well, I think it's small, but then sometimes I go to networking events and I'm like, who are all these people? And the same with Sydney, like there's a certain amount of people working in the industry and there's a certain, like everyone kind of knows everyone and you eventually cross paths with people and like, you know, who the big employers are like here, it's Telstra, ANZ, NAB, Australia Post, a couple of financial services, like they're the big change employers. And it's like in Sydney, it's like Westpac, CBA, (laughs) Macquarie. But it's interesting that sometimes, because I always talk to recruiters, so if a recruiter calls me and I'm in contract and I'm, you know, hopefully loving where I am now and I'm there until next year, but I will always have a chat with a recruiter and I'll say, tell me about the role because yeah. I might be able to recommend somebody. Yeah. And one of the things which feeds into what our whole podcast is about, are change managers uh, born or, or, you know, do they learn it, is that I will quite often recommend people who are EAs or trying to get into change management. And I will Mm. say, look, this person isn't a change manager, but you need to speak to them because they've got all of the makings of a change manager. They just need a chance. And I think it's really sad when people are trying to break into change management and they've got those skills, Mm. particularly if you've come from a background. And I get a lot of people talking to me about this. I'm an EA or uh, particularly I'm an EA or a personal assistant and I want to move into change management. How do I get there? And it can be really difficult and it's really sad as well when you can see you might have a job title of EA, 
Yeah. So you're a born change manager. You know, you can yeah. do every, and you're doing most of this yeah. stuff. Maybe you don't have the toolkit around yeah. you, but that's when I will, uh, you know, implore recruiters to say, meet this person. They've spoken to me and they want to get into change. And for the recruiter, I'm thinking, this is an easy, you know, if you get this person in front of an employer, if they go in as a change yeah. analyst and they've got a really good change manager to take them under their wing, yeah. this person has the skills. You can't teach somebody the skills that this person will bring. The or tell them they need to go and get a $5,000 certification before they can be considered. Like, yeah. hello, like, because I'm with you, like, and I, there are some recruiters who get it. And I have a little funnel of people because I do the intro to change mm. workshop. A lot of people come to that workshop who want to get into change. Yeah. And they tell me in the workshop, oh, I'm looking to get into change. And then I get people going, I need analysts, 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 analysts. I'm like, here you go. Here's some CVs. So I found I'm becoming a little bit of a conduit uh, to the people, which is great because there's additional value for people who come to my workshops, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, like it's like analysts are so, I mean, last year was different because as we know there were so many people out of work and senior change managers were applying for analyst roles because they needed to put food on the table yeah but that's kind of flipped back now and because analysts become change managers and senior change managers there's always uh you know people are always looking for analysts but I think a lot of those people get bad advice from others in the industry or recruiters saying oh well you need to go and get this certification it's yeah. like don't get a cert until you've been in the job for a year or two and you you know you definitely know it's for you because like it it actually won't get you the job like I don't when I'm looking at CVs I don't care if you've got a cert I want to see what's your experience yeah what types of projects have you worked on and I would absolutely take on an analyst or even a grad a uni grad yes. with a good attitude who's willing to do some grunt work yeah. like you can take cuz you can teach the skills yeah you can you can teach you can give somebody a framework and a toolkit of how to execute the change but that almost and i think it's interesting as well that we still have the word change analyst because what we're talking about with change analyst a lot of the time is junior change manager yeah. So change analysts, there are specific things that they would do under that role. But most of the time, a change analyst is I'm not quite a change manager yet. Um, I'm on my journey to be a, a, a change manager. They don't have and to have it, the scary conversations with the difficult stakeholders quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can, you can just write the emails for me and you can, you know. <laughs> You can you can set up the meeting. Yeah. Write all the notes from the workshops, and yeah. uh, you know, take all pick up all the packs from the training pack documents from the printers. Yeah, <laughs> but no, they don't have to do the really really dicey stuff. Well, they shouldn't. I mean, I know sometimes they get put in that position, but they shouldn't be. Well, and, and that's an, that's another thing of, of what's a change manager in one organization, what's a lead change manager, what's a change director, what's a change analyst, what's a mm. junior change manager. You know, it, it really varies. Uh, depending on the organization, the size and also and also their maturity as well. Well, on that, one of the comments from the people that I went and asked for feedback was that change management, it's a little bit wild, wild west, you know, it's a little bit unregulated because um, and the, com the specific comment that was made by one person as well, a, a lot of project managers, they have some form of training whether it's pmp or pmbok or safe you know yeah whereas change managers a lot of change managers don't have certifications or they haven't undertaken formal training so he you know oh, uh, 
I mean, that person, I don't know what, what gender they were, <laughs> was kind of saying, you know, it it does lead to a lot because there are people who are change manager or senior change manager who don't really have that, you know, a huge amount of capability. And then you've got people who are analysts who have a huge amount of capability. So it's a little bit <laughs> like while we have the job titles, it's a bit unclear and hard to determine what the skill level is going to be. Okay, let me give you a real life example mm-hmm. of that and how yeah. ha- and how we can just completely blow that out of the water. Okay. So I was working at Westpac and I and loved working at Westpac and I had been there for I don't know a good few years. Westpac is a very change mature organization. Yes. You have processes, you have yes. toolkits, you fill in the templates, you know, you put the comms in the sausage machine and it comes, <laughs> you turn the handle and then it comes out. And whilst I was at Westpac, I went to get my pro-side qualification because yep. that would make me formally a change manager. You know, I yeah. have that stamp on my change passport yeah. to say, and I really enjoyed my pro-side course. Have I used any of it? Nah, not much. So when I left Westpac, I went for an interview. Um, I went for a number of interviews and I was actually finding it quite tricky to get a job. And I remember this one in particular where I was sat down and I had a really good interview with this lovely lady. And, uh, you know, we talked about attitudes and, you know, just how passionate I was about change. And we went through a couple of things that I'd done previously. And then she said to me, okay, blank sheet of paper. If you could design the change from scratch, if I gave you a complete green field to design this change, what would you do? I did not have a clue. Oh, no. I I didn't have a clue. And obviously I said, well, what I would do, I would talk to your stakeholders about what artifacts they previously used. I would dig into some of my pro-side templates. But I didn't have a clue. Mm. And I left that interview, which, of course, I didn't get that job. I left that interview thinking, oh, my God, I'm pitching myself as a senior change manager and I do not have a a toolkit or a methodology that I would use now these days now I run a course on this is my methodology and over the 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 next I know five years I now know exactly what I would do so if somebody said you've got a blank piece of paper I would say can I have a flip chart because I need to draw it I need to show you what is important how I deliver change Um, what artifacts I would use, the questions I would ask, the people that I would need to speak to, the things that are really important to me, you know. So talk to me, I would recommend that we would have a single source of truth, such as a SharePoint. I would recommend that we would create a micro brand so that our communications were distinct. And I, you know, I know it now. If you said to me, have you got a blank piece of paper? uh, What would you do? Mm. I am 100% sure what I would do. But I sat in that interview being a seasoned change manager with a pro-sci qualification with no clue what to do. And you probably get this on your courses, but a lot of people come on my change toolkit course saying, I just don't know where to start. I think that I have everything. And what I do with the toolkit is I show them how to put the ducks in a row, how Mm. to see the wood for the trees. Mm. And when I do coaching calls with them, it's like, you've got it, you know it. You just need help to get things lined up. And I said, my toolkit course is exactly what you would write for yourself if you had six months to develop it. The only yeah. difference is, is that where you move from role to role to role, 
what I did is I kept all of those learnings and I put them in a pack. Yeah. And now that's what I'm sharing with you. I've got a big bag of tricks because at each role, I'm finding I'm creating new things. I'm yeah. putting new spins on existing templates and going, oh, that, that worked well. Or someone shares something with me and I'm like, oh, I like that. I'll take it. And yeah, now I've got, I've got a little library happening. And yeah. I think it, it does take time to build that up because the answer to that question as well is, you know, what would you do? Like, yeah, that is a real tell because it takes like you can be naturally great at change and you can come in and you can do a really good job at managing some change just if you've got the right instincts. But yeah, it takes a number of years and a few projects and roles to be able to have an, a good answer to that question. I remember this is a different interview. I was in an interview one day. It's probably the worst interview I've ever had in my life where I nearly stood up and walked out of the interview. <laughs> and I this woman who was interviewing me was just a really mean lady and I thought oh my god if this is how she's behaving in an interview imagine what she's going to be like you know when you make a mistake or she's having a bad day or whatever um and she said oh tell me how you'd go about implementing this change and I went well first I would do x and then I would do y and she was like what why do you think that that's not what I would do and she literally started yelling at me in the interview and (laughs) and then already been a few orcs moments like there was a woman from HR in the interview and um, she was clearly terrified of this woman as well. So I was just, and but I was in a situation where like I had just come back from, like I'd finished a, a two-year, con- like I'd done, done a project at ANZ which went for two years and then I went to Asia for a couple of months and I came back in February and thinking, oh, the market's going to be sweet because it's February yeah, and yeah, the market was be. dead and then it was taking me a lot longer than I thought to get my next gig and so I was starting to get to that oh I really need to start working soon I stayed away in Asia a bit longer and thought oh, yeah. I'll just get a job um so I was like oh, I don't want to have to take this uh but yeah like the start the, the HR lady was there like I said something at the start I'm like oh you might have seen in my CV that blah 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 and this woman went no I didn't see that and then the HR lady went oh look it's it's right here and just pointed at the CV <laughs> so yeah she had a full go at me because she didn't like what I said and then there was, so she, she had this kind of yell and then there was this really awkward silence because I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I'm clearly not getting the job. Should I just leave? Because this is going so bad. <laughs> I think you could, that, that is a topic you could do of a different podcast. You could do a mashup of your worst interviews. You could do a whole mashup. You could interview and something like awkward interviews. 50 change managers. You could interview 50 change managers and say, <laughs> what, is your, what is your worst interview moment? Oh. Yeah. I had some clangers and I've also interviewed like conducted been the interviewer and there's been a few clangers as well um anyway you know a way of topic but I'm having such a good time um, this, is, this is what we just do isn't it this is what change managers do as well yeah. we, we are able to stick on topic if we have an agenda in front of us another thing I did want to ask you because it's popped into my head a few times while you've been speaking do you think like given that you uh got into change a little bit later in life and you've had a few different careers and jobs Mm. before that do you think change management is where you're meant to be and what you're supposed to do oh look I've always been a change manager it just didn't have that job title Mm -hmm. and um so we, we might have spoken about this before but I've only had a job title of change manager for uh, about five years. Yeah. So I 
I started off doing training, but mm. I wasn't just training. I was going into the organization, doing a training needs analysis, developing a program. Um, I did, and all of these, th all of these things have been so valuable as in change management. Um, so when I, I mentioned earlier that I spent time as an image consultant, which is, you know, doing personal styling with somebody, mm. that is the most in-depth high stakes change management that you could do when one person comes and sits in front of you and they have come there because they have had quite often a life-changing event whether they've got to 30 or 40 or 50 or their husband has left them or their kids have left home something or they've they've seen a picture that's quite often they would come to me if they've seen a picture of themselves on social media and they go oh my god I look like an old woman mm. and when you do that personal change with somebody you know, we, we mentioned briefly earlier Cotter's change curve about the, you know, the denial and the acceptance and the realization mm. all of mm. that. That is such a lesson in change management. Mm. And you know, I would never normally talk about that at an interview, but teaching somebody or guiding th somebody through changing their image and the very core of themselves, changing how their hair is and their makeup and the clothes that they're going to wear and how people perceive them. That is the biggest lesson in change management. Mm -hmm. Another massive uh, lesson in change management. I spent time being an aerobics instructor. Right? So, wow. so I was in the late 80s, early 90s. I used to teach step classes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I've got now, my step here behind then? me. I bought a step oh, in lockdown last year and I, step. yeah. And I used to do like eighties and nine, like I did Jane Fonda step classes on YouTube just for fun. Yeah. Oh, well, I loved at the time, it. I had started doing that when it, when it just came out. So, cool. um, but one of the things there that's really important that we bring forward from that is that when you need to teach somebody a really complex routine to step on, you have to break it down into little pieces. Mm. You have to break, break it down into little pieces. And then you have to, you know, you, so you teach somebody four steps and then you teach them another four steps. And then you put those together as eight steps and you do another four steps and another four, like how you build it up. This is driving change adoption. So it is, you know, how do you get, how can you spend an hour with people? Mm. And at the end of it, you've got a class of middle-aged women wearing leg warmers and baggy t-shirts all perfectly in time jumping up and down on this step mm. it is change management it's a learning journey it's a transition it's the skill of communicating in small sections building it up and then doing the reinforcement to drive adoption so I love it. We, we, I'm using different terms now that I wasn't even aware of yeah but I was a natural that was able to break it down and to yeah. teach it and to deliver it there so whether it is microsoft office whether it is a step routine whether it is dressing somebody or whether it is uh from the last one that i did splitting a tax field into three you know hmm. it's the same it's the same skills um so yeah i've, I've had the job title of change manager for five mm. years but I have been a change manager yeah. ever since I started work. Yeah. Well, that was one that kind of got me into change because I've always been really, really good at explaining difficult concepts in easy mm. to understand language and teaching people how to do stuff, even though it's not, you know, never had the title. So um, I've got a recommendation for you. There's a woman, um, her name is Shannon Dooley. She's Sydney based. 
and she does this online uh, exercise aerobics called Retro Sweat. And her and her team, they have the full, you know, they have the glittery stockings and the high cut, high waisted one piece. Who is that person? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like this huge and they play 70s and 80s music and they do online workouts and they have some free ones on YouTube. So I'm going to put that out because I actually had like, (laughs) I got my step out, but she does like the grapevine and like, it's like a traditional early 90s aerobics class. And I feel like. Yeah, I did a lot of those during the last lockdown. So I'll put that out to the listeners, but also to you, Sharon, because I reckon you'd get a kick out of it. (laughs) Funnily enough, with the aerobics thing as well, more than once. So I've been I've been rolling out a change. So I was speaking about um, the change was or the education I was working for Unilever and we're doing a program where um, it was an education program, but in some countries in poor countries you're not measured by the clothes that you wear in poor countries you're actually measured by whether you can keep your clothes clean or not yeah so in you know if you think about so i know the the areas that we were focusing on i think were sao paulo and then certain areas in africa you know people are not wearing designer clothes but if your whites are white you yeah. are the highest of society. So this is a so proud of brand. And we were trying to educate people with a different mindset. So it was such an amazing project. So I was speaking about, you know, how things make people th- feel. And then we um, took 12 people out on a shopping trip and we gave them a makeover so they could live. How do you feel differently than you did before? And then they said to me on the project, so after you have given them the makeover could you just get them to do some type of dance (laughs) and I went yeah sure (laughs) yeah sure so we're taking these people out shopping giving them this makeover and then I could choreograph this dance because they then had to display that in front of 500 people see these are the sort of most change managers would go are you kidding me you what I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah, sure. Sure. No problem. Um, Let's get a track and then let's get them. Let's get them dancing. And there they are. And these are these little hidden skills that you pick up. um, Oh, look, I've got a cat there. Um, These little hidden skills that you pick up on, um, you know, you go, okay, yeah, sure. Sure. I could no problem choreograph a dance. So it's really weird how these things come to come in useful. (laughs) You think, doesn't matter that I used to be an aerobics instructor. Yeah, it's really valuable. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, before I got into change, I used to work in shared services centres, right? Because in Adelaide, I, I'm from South Australia, in Adelaide in the 1990s, Adelaide built itself as a shared service centre hub. They gave companies tax breaks to set up their shared services centres, which I think a lot of that work is now offshore and done performed in other countries like the Philippines. And But at that time, Adelaide, you know, so there was that was my after uni job. Was working. So what do you mean by shared services? So shared, shared service centre. So um, shared services functions for large companies. So as an example, uh, I got a job at the Westpac Mortgage Centre when yeah. I was 18 years old because they had this massive, massive centre where they did, they had the Westpac Contact Centre, they did uh, most of the mortgage centre functions. They, okay, had, gotcha. they yeah. had, you know, a vault that contained everybody's documents. So like that sort of stuff, shared services oh, could be. That. You know, and I did a project at Telstra a few years ago where we set up a HR shared services centre. So it was the 
HR direct contact center and a number of functions um, associated with HR. So set up in the Philippines as opposed to Australia. Um, So yeah, like that was a big thing. And I worked, I also worked at the BHP Billiton Shared Services Center and I worked there at night because we had to serve international clients. So I would go to uni and then I would go and work at BHP and I I worked in accounts payable and I used SAP to to do uh, procure to pay stuff. And then when I graduated uni, I got a job working for Accenture and unfortunately for me, I started working at Accenture right as the GFC was kicking off. So there was a few, like, it, we were okay in Australia, but I was on the bench for a little while when I first joined the company. And, it, you know, because I had been an SAP user, I was able to then get placed on a project that was doing, I did a, a two SAP, you know, ERP rollouts. Mm. And because I knew how to use SAP, I was able to leverage that. Yeah. and help with the training and help with the coaching and help with the troubleshooting. And I was like, you know, sitting in this role, like during uni going, this is just my uni job. I'm just here to get paid. But I ended up like that became so useful. Yeah. And I think all of our previous experiences make us who we are. I mean, um, anybody who's spent any time working in a bar or has done any waitressing mm. knows how you need to bite your tongue and just be really great to all of the customers, which is really useful for change managers who are dealing with difficult stakeholders. You know, yeah. you've got to understand that the senior stakeholder to some degree is always right. And you have to handle those difficult cons- uh, conversations. Well, being a, a being a, a waitress or a bar person where you've got stroppy customer is great training for that as is being a parent. yeah yeah a lot of of things a lot of things that we are the sum of we are the sum of our past experiences and maybe as well going back to our original original brief of the natural instincts and talents of a change manager are things that they have I, I think maybe this is this is this is it really is that you and I and we mentioned this we take those skills, we collect those skills, we collect those skills, we collect those learnings, we collect those templates, we collect those experiences, and we bring them forward to our next role and we look at how we can apply them. Others shut the drawer and shut the door to that role and go on to the next one almost as if it's a fresh start. Whereas I join each one looking at what experience did I have from being a waitress or an image consultant or an aerobics instructor or a risk change, you know, a trainer in risk or a change manager in banking. What's my whole pool of skills that I'm going to draw on to apply to this with empathy, as we spoke about, with creativity that is also really important. And that's one of the things that can be to some degree learned. You can learn to be more creative, but I don't think you can be a naturally, you know, a person that naturally has um, creativity. So, but we are collecting our experiences and then we're looking at how we can apply them. And this also comes to the crux of what change managers can do. And this is, I spend a lot of time this is where we, we go back to the Microsoft stuff or anything that we do, you and your, your SAP. I know loads of stuff. Yeah. Whether it's about SAP or whether it's about Microsoft, I know loads of stuff. And I could prove to you how clever I am about that, but actually that's not what I'm supposed to do. What I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to listen to you. 
and figure out out of all of this stuff that I know that I already know or that I've just learned because it's a new project and it's a new system out of all of this stuff that's in my head let me listen to you and let me figure out what do you need to know about this and also let me listen to you a little bit more to understand what is the best way for me to explain this information to give this information to you and your team because change management is not about you being impressed with how much I know about the project or the system or the move or the risks or the regulatory requirements that's not what it's about it is about me listening to you and figuring out what you need to know and the best way to deliver it and it's about me caring about how I do that I think that's the the crux of change management there is that I've listened to you and I actually care about delivering this in the best way I'm not going to just create a leaflet and send it out to you because you might prefer a video you might prefer me or somebody else to attend in person you might need hand-holding you know yeah. it's about me, me listening and I think that's those are some of the things can you teach can you teach those I don't know I don't know if you can teach the because that's about the empathy isn't it it's about the ability to break things down and caring enough to break it down and deliver it to a person in the right way yeah. but also speaking to people and not only understanding the change but understanding the way everything hangs together within an organization or within a business unit and therefore going okay and then that helps you plan the change well um and yeah. also just being a people person like if you don't like talking to people if you don't want to get to know people and take them for coffee um then maybe coding might be more suitable for your personality you know you know there's a bit of that that i that that i think there's a little bit of a flexibility on so i think that some people who are introverts could be change managers a lot of change managers are introverts and i'm an ambivert like i'm both so i have a lot of introverted tendencies i I don't (laughs) but a lot of change managers describe themselves as introverts which is very interesting Um, we've been talking for a really long time so I'm going to wrap us up but before I do um, where can people find you Sharon have you got any uh, courses coming up have you got any speaking engagements coming up let the listeners know Um, so you can just go to changesuperhero.com.au where all of the courses are available as videos Um, there will be new courses coming out in September live courses um and there will there are some freebies coming up shortly so freebies coming up i'm going to be doing um talking about the role of communications in change and i'm also going to be doing a um a session on a freebie this will be a freebie on oh, i've been asked to asked to present mm-hmm. so, what do you you know what do you need to do if you need to present to a large audience so i'm going to be doing how that type of presentation is different than a corporate presentation so some freebies coming up uh, people should sign up to the website for so that they hear about those but otherwise all of the good stuff is available on video yeah so like, i've been to one of your freebies and it was unreal i picked up the buffet yeah the microsoft buffet i yeah. picked up many hacks which i'm using and i you know and i also have a folder in my email that's called sharon because yeah. you send out multiple emails a week and i just go okay i too busy to deal with that now, but I'm going to put it in the Sharon folder 
and I'm going to go through and do that thing because that's going to be high value. So I think people should also sign up to your uh, email list because that email list is just full of gold. I, when I send them out, I get people every day messaging me. And of course um, there are, I don't know which number you're on, but there are at the moment, there are 65 tips. You get one every three days. And because people are at all different stages through that email is it's really interesting. Different ones resonate with different people and they email me and they say, oh my God, that's going to change my life. And as I'm writing them, I am thinking, I just figured this out myself. Surely everybody knows this, no. but they, they don't. It's no. just a little tiny thing. Well, I'll tell you the one that I'm using the most well, from your Microsoft buffet is the Windows key and full stop, which brings up the emoji. The emoji is Windows full stop. Emoji. Oh my God, yeah. that's changed my life. How could you manage with, how could you manage without those? Well, I was getting by, but yeah. I just went and I just went, oh my God, how have I lived my life not knowing this? And, so yeah, that's the one for me. And you would probably be thinking, what a basic bitch. But like, <laughs> no, because I I a lot of these things. But how could you know them all? There's so many. And you know, I think unless someone I tells press, you. Sometimes you go. I know them because I press it by mistake. Um oh. <laughs> this used to happen when I was teaching people. So I'd be walking around a room. This is at the days when live courses used to be around, you know, I'd be teaching them Excel. And then all of a sudden they would have something in the screen and I would say, how did you get that? Whoa, hang on. What did you press to get that? Yeah. yeah wow. And, um, you know, I, I subscribe to other people's tip of the day. And sometimes mm. I go and watch YouTube videos or today when I'm looking for the next tip of the day. So at the moment we've had loads of PowerPoint ones and I'm looking at the moment for Excel ones, uh, sorry, Outlook ones. So what you do is you sit there and you actually spend 10 minutes looking at the menus and you go, is that always there? Today's one, which, or you have a problem and instead of just going on through it, you think about, surely I'm doing this the wrong way around. So for example, the one that I'm thinking, somebody emails you and says, uh, yeah, love to meet. So what you do is you leave your email you go to your calendar and you open your calendar. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, surely there's a way to get from the email to that. And there is, there's actually a button that you press to turn your message into a meeting, which means that there's a shortcut. Now, when I'm doing that, I'm trying to find out, hang on a minute, I'm in a meeting now, but I don't know when I'm available. Oh, there's a button that I can bring my calendar up in a new window. And it isn't until you think this is a problem and I'm taking 10 steps to remedy it and it's a real pain. Hang on a minute, is there another way? And then you share that and I'll say, did you know from a message, you can turn a message into an appointment and you just share it. And then 10 people go, oh (gasps) my God. And just for for the listeners, not for me, what is the shortcut key for that, Sharon? That would be a control alt R. There we go. Oh, there's amazing. a button right in front of you. There's a button that turns that message into a meeting. And then right in front of that, then there is another button that opens the calendar. And we're just too busy. To, we're just too busy doing things the wrong way round to say, hang on a minute. Yeah. This is a bit crazy. Is there another way of doing it? So sometimes I will Google. But um, a lot of stuff that I've learned, I've learned from Googling and watching. And then you'll find a three minute YouTube and someone explains it. And I'm like, great. Windows V. Now, if you like Windows full stop, have you got Windows V? What does Windows V do? 
okay you know when you copy something yeah windows v um brings back the last 25 things that you copied so you know you go and you copy something you copy something and then they think you think you've got to paste it straight away so you've got four presentations open and you want to take a bullet point from this one and bullet point from this one and what you keep doing is you do copy paste copy paste copy paste you can just go copy 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 and then you go to the destination and windows v windows v brings up the clipboard showing you the last 25 things that you copied oh my god This is nearly as good as you This this is the thing, Sharon, this is why people are resonating so much with you and your content, because I mean, even though you're a change manager and it's very useful for change, everyone who works in an office environment has to use Microsoft products, Mm -hmm. right? So it's resonating with everybody. And I think like most of us don't, like it takes time to actually learn all of these tricks and, you know, who's going to know them all. So you come in and like, you've given me, you've given myself and the listeners like three really amazing hacks in just this one podcast episode that's going to change everyone's life. So everyone sign up <laughs> for the course and you'll get even more, but we've been talking for well over an hour. So I'm going to have to edit it down because people are going <laughs> to see, I'm not going to, I'm probably not, but people are going to see the time and they're going to, oh, I'm not going to commit to that. So I'm going to wrap it up, but Sharon, yeah, um, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast the second time. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights, wisdom, stories, even about being an aerobics instructor in the (laughs) 80s and 90s. I love it. Um, And for the listeners, yeah, I'll include all of the links to Sharon's courses in the show notes. Uh, But otherwise, we will be back with another episode soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.